Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of a live stream Sunday School for Akron Elias Fellowship Church. Uh, my name is Melvin Gaines. Thanks for being here, and of course, everyone is welcome to participate in these Sunday School sessions that we put forth. Uh, but we appreciate you being here this morning. As we allow people to jump on with us, remembering that it is now Daylight Savings Time, and it's not 8.30, it's 9.30 Eastern Time. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and get started with um, some music to allow people to jump on with us. Royce Mosley, the anthem, Because He Lives. Uh, I'm going to be playing an edited version of it, but it will be sufficient for getting us ready for Sunday School this morning. God bless you all. Thanks for being here today. We appreciate you very, very much. Royce Mosley, the you anthem. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Arlen. Good morning, Roscoe, Brother Roscoe. How are you doing? Good morning, Miss Laura. Thanks for joining us this morning. Indeed. Morning, Lynn. I see you're, you're watching too, according to my note here. <laughs> Royce Mosley. <laughs> Royce Mosley, the anthem. I think it rings true. Uh, Brother Arlen, while we're on, while we can see each other. Um, I think the artist are the ones responsible for the blocking part. I don't think it's necessarily the uh, Facebook. They have to be the ones to push the button and say, I don't want anybody hearing my stuff, which is really ridiculous. <laughs> the more I think about it, it's just silly. It is. It's <laughs> Good morning, Vic. It's okay. We're watching closely. <laughs> Vic and Liz. I never know who's watching together. Unless they tell me. Mm -hmm. Amen. Royce Mosley, the anthem. Still on the air. Hey, Jackie, good morning. <laughs> good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see your circle. Cindy Phillips, good morning. Good morning. Coffee, coffee. At work? Okay. 
Do your thing, double cup. Charles and Joanna, good morning. Jackie says hi to you. If we could just get to see Jackie. (laughs) One day, one day. Ann and Larry, good morning. Amen. As far as I'm concerned, you're part of our family. Thanks for being here. Amen. Amen. Part of the family. I have to watch the time on this baby. Yeah, there we go. Good morning to everyone. Thanks for being here this morning. Cold, cold morning. Cold, cold morning in northern Summit County. And not much and not much better in central Summit County. <laughs> Barbie Mansfield, good morning. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> It's a long john kind of morning. And the weird thing about it is when we get up to 40 degrees, um, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, and well, 70 last weekend, yeah, I know. I'll refuse to make further comments. Royce Mosley, the anthem. The anthem. All right. Good morning, good morning. Amen, amen. One of some of our friends forgot about the time change. It's not 8.30. That's all right. We're good. Royce Mosley, the anthem. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Everyone is welcome to join us for Sunday school. Amen. Amen. Okay, that would go on for another six minutes if we allowed it, but we don't have that kind of time. But thank you for Royce Mosley and the anthem. Because he lives, we appreciate, uh, as always, the contributions, and we love those contributions for music that doesn't don't get us kicked off of Facebook. <laughs> we play. We really love those, and they sound great too. Okay. Um, Enough fun and frivolity for right now. Let's go ahead and get into the announcements for this morning. Um, we appreciate you joining us. This is I, I really do believe very strongly that Sunday school needs to be a part of a church's regular Sunday curriculum. Uh, we know that all not all churches have that same approach. We uh, don't really know what to say about that other than the fact that we'll do what we can. 
Clorinda, good morning. Hi. And um, we're going to do everything we can to do that. And in fact, when we um, move from the home version of Sunday school to the church version of Sunday school, eventually, uh, we'll still be broadcasting. So uh, we will always keep doing that. Missing your hour? Well, well, we miss you too, but that's okay. We... No, she means sleep. Oh, you're missing your hour of sleep. Oh, well, yeah, I get that. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I see that now. I can, I, I see the emoji. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, uh, we'll go to the announcements. And um, uh, first of all, there will be an online message following Sunday School today um, that I will be presenting. Don't stop talking about Jesus. Amen. With an exclamation point. I won't forget that. Don't stop talking about Jesus. And that will be coming up after uh, this edition of Livestream Sunday School. It will be available. And, of course, we'll be doing this on uh, live Excuse me, at the church today uh, uh, after 11 o'clock uh, Eastern Time. Please remember your tithes and offerings. We, we really appreciate you taking into account the importance of uh, making sure that the tithes and offerings are presented for the church to be able to conduct business, conduct the uh, daily business of the church, pay the bills, pay the utilities, pay even the personnel who work there and serve there. Greg, right. uh, Greg yeah, pay Greg, right? Amen. Um, uh, I know he dropped his name, but that's he is he does a lot of hard work for us, and we, we want to appreciate that he is taken care of as well, too. Please remember, if you're mailing your tithes and offerings, to mail them to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. We appreciate you remembering that and taking care of that. If you're coming to church today, just drop your offering in the drop box in the lobby area as you come in. We are still uh, fulfilling the protocols for uh, making sure that anyone who enters the building is um, safe by taking temperatures. And if you don't feel well, stay home. You can always watch what we have available online as well, too. And uh, we appreciate you doing that. Lisa, good morning. Uh, thanks for jumping in with us. We're going to go ahead and get started with our edition of Sunday School. It is kind of a, a slightly different approach. We're calling it a deeper dive of uh, looking at biblical inerrancy. And I, I'm convicted that to, to mention and making sure that everybody is aware that we indeed are in the last days just about everything that I've seen and, and everything I've looked at where we look at uh, people on television who are presenting the message, they're, they're noting that we are at a point where we need to be getting ready and being aware that Jesus is coming back soon and there's proper things to do in order to prepare for that. Well, I'll talk about that briefly, too, during today's message. But having said that, we also need to re remember and look at and ask the question, how are these individuals convicted to be able to say uh, with certainty that Jesus is returning soon and that it can happen without warning when we talk about the rapture and we talk about um, these end times? And it's because they're relying upon the Bible that is giving the information, presenting the information, God's word, and reading between the lines, looking at what scripture says and looking at what uh, Christ is proclaiming when it comes to his return, and, and these things are all mentioned in Scripture. It's all prophetic in nature, and so we need to make sure that as we look at what Scripture is saying, the Bible is indeed inerrant, and we'll look at some details to talk about that. And we're going to talk about what 
we perceive our discrepancies in Scripture, and we have to understand that there, there have been indeed copying errors in Scripture, but that doesn't take away from the fact that the original text that is being copied from is indeed God's holy word, and it is not without error. I mean, it is, it is without error, excuse me. It is without error. I'm going to say that correctly, I tell you. I stumble on my own words when I do stuff like that. It is indeed without error, um, and we need to recognize that. And so we'll look at some definitions once again and get into this a little bit more with uh, a take from another individual who was providing this information. So with that in mind, we want to go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer and get started. Father, thank you for your very presence this morning. Thank you for helping me to, as I present the material, to make sure that my words are not twisted around and just making sure that things are coming out clearly. We thank you for helping me to slow down and relax and take the moment to just recognize the presence of your spirit and allowing you to do all the speaking. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for helping us to, thank you for waking us up first first and foremost each day. We thank you for having this day with you that none of these days that we have are promised, Lord. We recognize that uh, and we thank you indeed for bringing us to this place where we can sit before you and hear you speak. We thank you for your loving kindness and your presence. We thank you for your teaching and your wisdom and your knowledge and giving us insight into the Bible that we read and knowing that we can trust it without any doubt or any issues whatsoever. We thank you when you ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, let's get into this a little bit more, and let's look at it. We will be looking at some passages as we get into it. So we've talked about biblical inerrancy, and this is kind of a brief review just to uh, make sure that you're aware of where the term comes from and what it refers to. Inerrancy is a term, of course, used to to, to explain the Bible is completely true, and contains no errors in the original autographs. The original autographs being the the original writers of Scripture, the prophets, the people who were chosen to write, Paul, Peter, John. There is no error in by the original writers, okay? That's what the original autographs means, the, the people who were uh, chosen to provide this information. Inerrancy is an issue these days because some religious scholars... I put this in quotes, right? Um, believe that the scripture contains errors. And yet they continue to claim to believe in inspiration. When actually they're trying to redefine inspiration to include possible errors. That's a mistake. That's not correct. we we got to clarify these things here and make sure that we're looking at it for what it truly is. It is necessary to discuss inerrancy because it assures that we understand inspiration to mean without error. Inspiration means without error. We have to take that uh, for what it really represents and what it really means. We can't start changing definitions in the midstream. And just because we see things like copying mistakes, that that in any way takes away from what the original intent of God's word truly is. This is something that I've been noticing and seeing online often. It's It's a real challenge. Uh, for us to really make sure that we are not allowing uh, these things to happen in such a manner where we are uh, permitting people to change the way they see things or the definition of the way they see things. Um, so when we in, when 
we look at inerrancy and if it's denied, if we think that inerrancy is a problem, if there's an issue with it, it has a slippery slope effect, which is something that we need to recognize. What happens when we deny inerrancy in Scripture? Well, it leads to the denial of other literal truths that the Bible speaks of. Um, historical facts that are recorded in Scripture that we are aware of and that have been corroborated are now taken as myths or stories. Um, it is often claimed, for example, that the creation of the world and the creation of man in Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 12 wasn't meant to be taken literally. Now, that is a real interesting point to, that some people will make. And I'm not going to find these people. <laughs> uh, but if you take, if you take everything that's said, that's said in Genesis chapter 1 through 12 as being, um, wasn't mean to be taken literally, then you've got a real problem with the rest of Scripture, frankly. Um, biblical viewpoints on issues like homosexuality or women's roles are easily denied when inerrancy is denied. And that is a huge deal these days. Uh, we recognize that. We recognize that people who uh, allow this type of doctrine in churches or allow these things that happen, they're, they're going back to looking at the Bible, and they're either ignoring passages or just saying that, well, because the Bible isn't perfect in some way, shape, or form, we can do what we want here and make sure that this is presented according to how we see fit. Um, one otherwise evangelical errantist acknowledges that Paul said, wives submit to your husbands, but he feels that Paul was wrong. <laughs> so, it is one thing to interpret what a scripture means, but we don't have the freedom to claim that a Bible author wrote something that was wrong or in error. Just because you don't agree with it doesn't make it wrong. And that's something we have to look at here, too. And the reason why by, by the Bible, that's the reason why Paul says wives submit to your husbands in scripture is because there's a natural order. Is God, then is Jesus, and then and, and Jesus is the head of the church, and because he's the head of the church, he is the one who dictates and specifies what's important when it comes to following a certain order, and when that order is disrupted, we have what? Disruption. We have chaos. We don't do things the way that they are originally intended to, to be done. And that doesn't demean the woman, for goodness sake. You know, these are things that we, we don't have time to get into all that now, but we can certainly have a conversation about that separately if you want to, about uh, women uh, submitting to their husbands. But husbands are supposed to be treating the women in such a manner where they respect the wives and honor the women who that they are. That's a natural way of doing things, and that's what exactly how it's supposed to be and how it should be. And when we don't have that, we have a problem. Um, let's, let's just leave it there. So let's look at how inerrancy is described. This is coming from Dr. Norman Geisler. Dallas Seminary class notes. This is something that, by the way, Sid Litke is the one who is presenting this information. Sid Litke, he has a master's in theology from the Dallas Theological Seminary. He is, Dallas Theological Seminary is like the hotbed of all uh, thinkers when it comes to that. That's where Tony Evans went to. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He, he was there as well, too. So um, let's look at how it's described by Dr. Norman Geisler. Um, first of all, the definition of inerrancy. The Bible is wholly true in whole and in part in all that it affirms. And we'll talk about that a little bit later about what does that mean, in whole or in part. And there's logical reasoning behind it. Number one, the Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's word. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at verses 4 through 11. 
Matthew 4, verses 4 through 11. Now, this is interesting how you'll recognize this passage where Jesus was being led by uh, the devil into the wilderness right as he was about to begin his ministry. But there are some things that Jesus says within the text that are very, very important to reference. Um, my lovely bride has put up online the New Living Translation text. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Just follow along in yours. Starting at verse 4 of Matthew chapter 4. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we're going to come back to that. That's really important for us to remember. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is Jesus saying this. And verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Now notice how, how the devil knows about Scripture just like Jesus does. But he has a way of using it in such a way to manipulate and turn things around. And don't think for a moment that the devil won't do that to you as well, too. Mm -hmm. I'm just giving you that as a heads up. Um, you're dealing with a crafty opponent, the enemy. Uh, and so that's, what, that's why you need to know scripture just as well. Um, and so it says in verse 7 uh, of Matthew 4, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Amen. Don't put the Lord to the test. And, of course, you know, even even in the text here, um, G, uh, the devil says, if you are the son of God. <laughs> um, so it's, it's one of those things where he's just, he's just provoking and being provocative. Let's go down to verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. May we heed those words at all times. Amen. Verse 11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And what we need to see here, not to digress from the text here that we're looking at as far as inerrancy, but what we need to see here is that no matter how, much, how often the devil, uh, how often Satan puts words in front of us or gives us information or tempts us, we have a way of resisting temptation. Jesus is indeed is, is the one who we rely upon. He is showing us in this example exactly how we do that very thing with the very word of God. And that's how we resist. That's what we have to do. And remember God's truth in scripture. Um, we're tempted all the time. Amen. There's all kinds of temptation that we face, but... If we believe that what Jesus is saying to us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and we're going to focus on that a little bit. That's really important for us to see. So I need to make a note to come back to that. Um, second point, that God is always truthful. God always tells the truth. Take a look at Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Go to Titus 1, verse 2. And it's really important for us to see, even scripture refers to this because this is coming directly from God, right? We've said that when we looked at this in previous classes, we've said that, you know, this is all God's inspired word. This is all God breathed. This is what he is referring to as in 2 Timothy 3.16. But here in Titus chapter 1 verse 2, 
in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God, who never lies. God doesn't lie. And we'll supplement that with a passage from Hebrews 6.18. Hebrews 6.18. Not only does God not lie, look at what it says here in Hebrews 6.18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So not only does God not lie, it is impossible for him to lie. Why? He is the ultimate definition of truth. He represents all truth. He recognizes a lie when he sees it, of course, but he does not lie. He does not convey untruths in his word. If we, if we served a God who lied, that would blow up everything that we know about Scripture, everything about the Bible, everything that we understand. So we have to, under, have to understand and see that God is not lying to us, and we have to believe that he's not lying to us, and we have to trust that he's not lying to us. And because, and that, so therefore, when we look at this, the Bible is completely true. If the Bible is God's word and God is always truthful, then the Bible is completely true. That's a logic statement which leads us to the fact that it is inerrant. There is inerrancy in Scripture. And it's important for us to recognize those things. I'll tell you, I, you, you probably, it'd probably be good to do a study like this on your own, too, as you go and look at Scripture and look at what it says and look at all the different writings that have to do with it. Now, i got to tell you something. If you were to do a Google search and you were to look at what people say about biblical inerrancy, you're going to see different views and you're going to see different people who question the Bible's uh, level of truth. But you have to understand something. People, individuals, all of us, we're in the flesh. We lie. Sometimes we lie at the drop of a hat. We don't tell the truth. And so you have to understand, you have to take with a grain of salt when someone says that the Bible is not true because they're infusing their own way of thinking into the process. So we have to go back and look at Scripture and believe and trust, of course, that is, it is inerrant based upon the preponderance of the evidence that we look at. Because we can't look at the entire Bible all the time we look at it, but we've got to go from memory, we have to go from issues, we have to go from our own life experiences, we have to go on prayer and how God answers prayer and how he delivers us, how he heals us, how he protects us. There's all kinds of things that go into this reasoning and understanding of this biblical inerrancy. And people, I, I'm sorry, people do lie. I mean, people won't tell the truth. People will lie for their own motivations. We read about this in Scripture. Scripture has said there are false prophets all over the place. And they were, there were false prophets back then, and there are false prophets today. That's nothing new. And why? Because Satan is the one who is leading those individuals uh, with uh, false prophecy. Uh, I love the comment my lovely bride made just now. It's a book of faith. It is a book of faith. I'm, I'm not here to convince anyone of it. I'm here to give you information. I'm not here to tell you something that um, will lead you down a path that says takes you away from the Lord. I want to bring you to the Lord and understand that this is what the, the Bible is. It is truth. And that's what we have to rely upon. And there's instances in Scripture where we look at what the Bible says and what God says. What Scripture says and what God says. 
Let's take a look at a quick example. Go to Psalm 102, just to keep things moving along. Psalm 102, verse 26. Uh, here's what God says, um, um, or what the Bible says, excuse me. The Bible is referring to God, and it's making, uh, this is what one of the psalmists is writing about God. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. <laughs> so this is what happens when, you know, we say what, what the Bible says about people who are not following the Lord, okay? And... Turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 1, excuse me, Hebrews 1, verses 5 and 6. And I'm just giving you a real quick example here about the Bible, what Scripture says, God says. And so it's just basically referring to words that God is con conveying. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And he's referring to, of course, Jesus Christ. And he is referring directly to him. And, of course, the, he's not saying any of this to the angels. He's saying this directly about Jesus Christ. We need to see that this is what God is saying, and this is what God is dictating. And what he is mentioning for us, for us to... Frankly, believe in him, believe in Jesus Christ as the chosen one, the one that uh, God chose, the Son of God, to be the one, to be the sacrifice on the cross for all of us. Throughout the New Testament, there are quotes of Old Testament writers that are explicitly attributed to God. We've seen this in Scripture. We've, we refer to it, and hopefully it catches you as you read it now, as you're looking at your daily readings. And notice how I, I slipped in there that whole thing about daily readings because it is really necessary for you to stay in the Word on a daily basis. And I mention this because we can get into really bad habits when we let Scripture go by two days, three days without reading God's Word. We've got to be in the Word on a regular basis. If you miss a day for whatever reason, you can get caught up. If you follow our two-year two Bible reading plan, you won't miss out on a lot. But please, please make sure that you're emphasizing reading the word on a daily basis so that you are not falling behind, that you're staying in tune with what God has to say to you. That's really important. The fact that what Scripture says is also what God says tells us that God's truthfulness is bound up in Scripture's truthfulness. To deny the total truthfulness of the Bible is to deny the total truthfulness of God. So we need to recognize that we cannot... You can't do one without the other. If you deny that God's word is truthful, then you are automatically making a conclusion that God is not to be followed or trusted or believed. And whatever he has said in his word is really no longer applicable to you because you have a lack of faith. You don't believe that God is indeed uh, in control. All the things that we say about God being in control. Remember we said about how the events of the day, um, when we talk about, uh, Russia and Ukraine. God is indeed in control. It doesn't. There's nothing that's happening that is not in His control. He is aware of it. He may very well have allowed it. He has moved it to do it. That is what's happening here, and we have to recognize that too. So let's ask some questions. And this is where we started doing the deeper dive. This is what we need to do here. Um, why must there be flawless originals if our copies are not? It's a good question. 
Why must there be flawless originals if our copies, the Bible copies, are not? And the answer is because God produced the original. And because he produced the original copies, the original documents, original documents, I shouldn't say copies, the original documents, he cannot err. Remember, he does not lie. It is not, he, it is impossible for him to lie. It is truth. So we have to land on that and stay on that. Are there copying errors? Yes. We'll, we'll look at that in a little bit more detail. Why didn't God preserve the copies from all error? That's a good question. Answer, he did preserve it from significant error. Ah, but just like God allows other things we don't understand, we must accept the fact that he had a good reason. And sometimes the good reason is that it has people go back and check, check others' work. <laughs> I mean, it really comes down to that, too. We've had corrections over time that have taken place. Uh, a lot of people criticized the Living Bible when it came out because they felt that it went too far in taking the text. Um, the original manuscripts, let's get in the habit of saying original manuscripts, taking them a little bit too far and infusing a little bit too much of one's own feelings within it. And so we have to recognize that perhaps it was an opportunity for people to come in and say, hold on now, this isn't quite what God is saying. Let's go back and fix this and work with this and understand something. We've had many, many different uh, versions of Bibles uh, based upon taking the old King James Version and now bringing it to a more modern English version. In fact, there is a, uh, a Bible that is called the Modern English Version that's out there as well, too. And there's all kinds of uh, different versions out there, which we won't get into. But what has happened with these new um, copies of the originals? People go back and look at the original uh, Greek and Hebrew and get the intent, and they get it right, and they fix those errors that may have taken place. God may have allowed it for that reason alone, to make sure that there's no significant error. The essence of what God's message is is being conveyed, but those errors that do take place, um, they ultimately need to be fixed and corrected, and so it allows future generations, people, so people to come forward and uh, the scholars of today to look at the word and, and make sure that what is being presented is indeed true. That's really what it comes down to. I think that's a great question. Uh, how accurate are our copies of the original Greek, Hebrew, and Greek texts? The answer uh, is about 99% accurate. That's pretty good. Um, we have 100% of the truth we need. Amen? Um, but the main issues are disagreements about which words were the original ones, the original words, okay? Interpreting the original Greek and Hebrew. But remember what we said a week ago? Or a couple of weeks ago. Not one jot or tittle of God's word uh, will be uh, changed uh, and it will be fulfilled. That's what Jesus is quoted in saying. And that's where we have to leave it, right? Um, ultimately, his word, the most important things that need to be covered are being covered. Uh, and that's what we have to look at. We don't lack any of the original. We just have some disputed extra. And, and that's, that's healthy discussion, honestly. Um, if the original text is there, if it's 99% accurate, um, you would wish, you know, ivory soap is what, 99.4% pure. Uh, I'll take that average every time, okay? I mean, that's pretty good uh, in a world where we as human beings, we operate in flesh and we have to go back to the Lord and look for the Holy Spirit to give us guidance. 
um, we are imperfect without the Holy Spirit. And so we have even the Spirit uh, will have to jump in and jumps in on occasion to make sure that the matters, things that matter most uh, of what Scripture, when it's recorded, it's 100% truth. That's what we need to go back to. And here's a note answering that question. We have about thousands of existing manuscripts, each containing a variety of copying errors. But the fact that we have so many copies actually enables us to decide very closely what the original was. We go back and look at what the original says. Um, the example that's given here is about if you got three telegrams, <laughs> three telegrams, and each one contains an error, um, where you know the essence of the truth that's being given. Like, for example, you take the word you, and you block out the Y, then you block out the O, and then block out the U, three different telegrams, you still um, will understand. You have won $1,000. You'll understand the essence of the text no matter what, even though there's a change or a scriptural error uh, in that particular telegram. So it's worth noting that. Okay, let's take a look at Acts chapter 412. Now, I'm going to read it in different versions. If you want to go to your version in Scripture... Um, that's a great, great point. That's a, shows example of this. The main things are the plain things. Yeah, the main things are the plain things. Yeah, my wife. The main things are the plain things. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to read you four different versions of Acts 4.12, just to give you an example of what we're referring to here. Um, and we'll summarize it with moving on to the next thing. So let's start with the New International Version, Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, here's the New Living Translation. It's going to be very close, but the New Living Translation uses a more dynamic text as a way of, re, of uh, interpreting Scripture. There is salvation in no one else, with an exclamation point, and it ends the sentence. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Amen. That's the New Living Translation. English Standard Version. And there is no salvation, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Change there is among men. NIV said mankind. Okay. And finally, I'm going to give you the Berean Study Bible because this is one is not as uh, readily seen. You'd have to go online to see the Berean Study Bible, pretty much. Salvation exists in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. All four of those passages say the same thing. It's just spoken in a different manner. And that's what we have to look at here. The truth is clear, even if the words may not necessarily line up exactly the way you would think they would. And there's no error, by the way, in those passages. Let's, let's be clear about that. There's no error. It's written in such a manner. It's written in a way for greater understanding. Understand something. Those are all modern versions of Scripture. NIV from 1984 and supposedly revamped recently in 2000-something, um, um, English Standard Version is a relatively new version. The New Living Translations is a very new, uh, new version. The Berean Study Bible is relatively new. It's a new ver These are all new, written for the modern reader. But there's no mistake about what all four of those patches say. There's no other place where you can find salvation other than Jesus Christ. No other place. 
And so we have that. All right, very quickly, let's make sure that we, because uh, I want to end on time here. I won't be able to get through all of this, just some of it. So critics of inerrancy are quick to point out that there are supposedly contradictions in the Bible and some statements in Scripture are not literally or scientifically true. Two principles must guide um, out our thinking about inerrancy. First, apparent contradictions are not necessarily real contradictions. Um, so let's look at this. Some writers do not give all truth about a certain event, but they do give only the truth. Parallel accounts may give different details. Here's a great example of this. They're not contradictory. They're merely complementary. Um, how many angels were at Christ's tomb? Um, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 7, we don't have time to read it, but I'm just giving you that as an example. You can jot that down and go look at it on your own. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7 refers to an angel. What was the question again? How many angels were at Christ's tomb? Luke 24, 4 speaks of two angels. And what's the answer to this? Two angels were at the tomb. We have to go by what Luke is saying here because we don't discount just because Matthew refers to an angel. It's a general statement is what he's making. Two angels were at the tomb. Where there are two angels, there's also one angel. <laughs> I love that example. There are two angels. Well, if, if Luke is giving the account, remember Luke gave very, very specific accounts in Scripture. Um, he, he went into more detail in a lot of areas that the other Gospels did not. And it perhaps is because of Luke's background. Luke being a Gentile, Luke being a doctor, Luke being the person that he is, he, he sought to it to write in such a way where he was giving more detail. So if there were two angels there, there was also one angel. Matthew's just giving a credit for just one angel being present. Or he's just saying an angel. So here's another example. What was the inscription on the cross in Matthew 27:37 versus John 19:19? 19, 19. You can pull those up and put those online if you want. Uh, Matthew 27:37 versus John 19:19. 19, 19. John chapter 19 verse 19. And this will be for the benefit of any playback as well too, of course. So what's the answer to that? The complete inscription was evident was uh, evidently more words than either verse states. There, the inscription that was written was more than what was quoted. But in answering in each verse, what was really on the inscription? So, the key was that what the word "King of the Jews," the King of the Jews, was what was written there. But there was much more. Yeah, there there it is. It's right there. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews, was written on on Matthew twenty seven thirty seven. And John 19.19, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Well, both are correct. Both are giving the information. Uh, everything in each verse was really on the inscription, so we need to understand that. It, it's not a contradiction. It's just complementary. It just gives us more information. It just helps us. Remember, these are individual writers. And they're writing, remember, what the Spirit gives them to write. And what hopefully this does and what it should do, and, and I think God in his wisdom is doing this for all of us, he's doing this to challenge us to not just get stuck in one place. Keep reading all over the Bible. Go all through scripture. Read everything in its entirety. Go and look at everything. It's not just, you're not just focusing on one book for goodness sake. 
He wants you to go and seek after his wisdom. When he says to seek after him and look to him, you keep looking, you keep knocking, you keep and finding out that as you go, he's going to open to you, open up to you wisdom. Okay, now there are some errors in copying. Some errors are errors in copying, but they don't discredit inerrancy, which simply claims the originals are inerrant, when that's, that's just not the case. The originals are not inerrant. The originals are inerrant. It's not a problem if there are copying errors. And some apparent contradictions are solved by facts we do not know. Second Samuel 24, 24 says David paid 50 shekels of silver for the threshing floor property. First Chronicles 21, 25 says 600 shekels. I'll give you the passage again. Second Samuel 24, 24. And then First Chronicles 21:25. So as not to rush, because we're going to probably end here. <laughs> um, so perhaps the, fresh, the threshing floor was 50 shekels, and with the surrounding property, the total was 600. Because remember, David paid for everything. He paid for the whole property. So we give a reference to what's relevant here in Scripture, but we need to understand that. It wasn't uh, that David was being cheaper in, in one version and, and thrifty in the other. That's not a contradiction. It, it's, it's basically a fact that we need to be aware of. There are two different things that are being referenced here in the different passages. So it's, it's just interesting to see these things. And as you look at this and look at this with greater detail, this is something that God did for us to challenge us that you know we're not robots, we shouldn't we should always seek after him to understand truth he doesn't want us just to just to buy it and say well you know it's truth and therefore that you should be praying about everything you read you're praying about your scriptures you're meditating on the word and you're making sure that what you're reading you have great understanding because the spirit is involved in that that's what we need to be challenged with here when we look at this deeper dive and understand that what appears to be a contradiction Maybe just a way of enhancing our understanding of what God is trying to say to us and recognizing what he's trying to say. So I hope that you pray on these things and look at these these issues, and I hope that it's helpful in doing so because we need to understand that we really are looking at God's breathed word. He, he is the one who is breathing scripture. He's giving this to us. He's giving this to us for us to look at what scripture says and seek after him and know the complete truth, and the complete truth is in his word. Amen? And we're going to close out now because we're going to start heading down towards Akron pretty soon, <laughs> um, just to get going here. But we appreciate you uh, participating in this. If you have any questions about this, you're welcome to put them in the timeline here in our particular uh, Sunday School passage. And we'll be happy to try to go back and do some research and answer those questions for you individually if you want that. But we welcome your participation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've set aside for us to look at your word and look at your truth. We thank you for the different examples of scripture that managed to give to us a greater insight into how magnificent you truly are. You assure us in your word that you are all about truth. You cannot lie and you do not lie. And Lord, what we read is indeed truth. And we want to make sure that we understand that even though one passage about the same situation doesn't say it exactly the same way, that you indeed still are giving us truth that we rely upon to understand that the Bible is completely true and without error. 
We thank you for letting us know that it is 100% truth. We know there have been errors in copying, but Lord, we know that you are as much greater than all of that and that you make sure that the truth comes out, that you would not allow any significant copying error to take place, anything that would change the meaning of what you have to say. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you for those promises that you give to us. Bless us now, Lord, and give us travel mercies as we go about today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here today. Uh, We hope that you got something out of that. We'll come back and uh, continue this next time and look a little bit further into it. And we appreciate you being here. God bless you all. Take care of yourselves. And as we do every Sunday, we will see you next time.